Welcome to Inside Dance, a podcast that celebrates the Bates Dance Festival artists and teachers. I'm your host, Lindsay LaPointe. This episode features David Dorfman, who has been creating movement-based theater in and around New York City and internationally since 1981. This summer, he'll be teaching Performing Citizenship from July 19th through the 25th as part of the Pedagogy and Social Practices Intensives. In studying choreography as social and personal commentary, students will work in class on both solo and group projects, investigating the delicate balance between meaningful form and meaningful content. By breaking down boundaries of disciplinary classification, a merging of movement, text, visuals, and sound will be stressed in a system of humane, honest, and critical dialogue will be developed and practiced. The interview you're about to hear was recorded in 2011. I am David Dorfman. I started dancing in early 20s uh, as a junior in college. Not too atypical for men. I uh, had an athletic career before that. played competitive baseball, mostly. And just when I stopped playing baseball, I really missed moving my body as much as possible. And the thing that I loved most about baseball is diving after balls. <laughs> and I was also a catcher, so I squatted a lot. And I liked being the captain of the team. So if you combine those things, it could pretty much encapsulate my dancing style and my career. Uh, I, I like teaching. I like running a dance company. I like squatting, because <laughs> I've joked in a recent piece of choreography, I've used the catcher's position uh, in almost every piece, of, every solo I've ever done. But I think the athletic model of team sports was really important to me growing up and still remains important to me as I teach. I like to build a community in my classes. I believe anyone can do anything. and. Uh, I'd rather students be conscious of other dancers in class as much as themselves. And that kind of goes against the grain of some traditional teaching methods, which tends to be about your body, your kinesphere, and your learning. But I more believe in a group learning pedagogically. Because I started late and didn't have the traditional dance body, still don't, even more so don't now, um, I uh, felt I was a little bit behind schedule. So I kind of relied on my athletic skills and I took classes at non-standard times with non-standard dance folks. So let's say community classes, continuing education classes, after the hours where dance majors would be taking classes. So to me, since that, in a way, saved my life, allowed me to continue my interest in dance, I've always had a soft spot and affinity toward getting all people dancing. And I consider when I teach that it's a dancing class. So I started out by saying one of the classes I'm teaching here at Bates Dance Festival is a technique class. But I consider it a dancing class. We do some improvisation. We do some human interaction. 
There's a little bit of contact improvisation. And of course, we practice what we would categorize as an eclectic, released bass, modern or postmodern dance class. But there are movements from uh, uh, social dance, from African dance, and there's so much that I uh, incorporate from an Africanist perspective, whether it's a kind of a kickball change, a roll of the shoulders, uh, groundedness. And um, so I like to combine all the things that I've learned over my 30 some odd years in the field into one class. I'm also teaching a repertory class. And we are here using many, if not all, of the phrases that I've been creating here anew at, at the festival in our repertory piece. It's to the music of Patti Smith, and we're covering the song. So uh, um, Jesse Mano, incredible musician, composer himself, has assembled a small band, of which I'm a small part, and we are uh, playing the music live with two Patti Smiths, a male and a female Patti Smith. Um, faculty members uh, uh, and musicians, Kathleen Herbsdorf and Michael Wall. It's going to be fabulous. And what I'm trying to do is give a context to the movement that really is modern postmodern dance, but with the music and the context we're going to set up, hopefully that movement will look different to an audience. So I'm, I'm taking some, what one might feel very typical or stereotypical rock and roll, even punky gestures, a fist, jumping up and down, but then combining them as I like to do with uh, any of a number of movements that are more about lengthening the body, about throwing your weight around, which is one of the key techniques that I try to support in my teaching, um, and uh, lines and circles, rhythm and weight. Uh, if, if, if I were to describe how I teach and what dancing is, and I would say across many different techniques, I would include lines and circles in the limbs and in the paths that the limbs make, a lengthening and a folding, rhythm, and weight. And then if you combine that in just the right, you get this notion of balance, and that's where I was referring to throwing your weight around. And I like to think that we have a lot of weight. Again, I think there's a, a, a kind of a, a bit older school of dance that wants to minimize the visual effect of the body, almost make the body disappear and make everything look effortless. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to show effort show weight, show presence, show sweat. To me, that yields a bit more of a human perspective to dancing. And not just in the performance, but in the training. And I think the two are inextricably linked. I think um, the way we train ends up being, in many ways, the way we can perform. Obviously, there are characterizations and abstractions and very specific direction that any choreographer, and, and myself included, will give in any particular piece. 
However, some of the tenets, some of these principles that start in what we call a dance technique class, I think are very important. They're not just stretching the muscles and, and getting on balance and figuring out how to turn. They're figuring out how to be in your body with other people around. And that's what I get so excited about dancing. There are many times when I try to get bodies as close to one another without touching and to feel that, that aura of energy. Then there's other times when I ask people to just lean into one another and feel what it's like to almost try to push through another body in a very benevolent way and not a, you know, an angry or vicious way at all. They're actually caring or loving and supportive. But you just push, and the more you push, the more you give and receive at the same time. And I find that rounded sensation of body really gratifying. And I can see when students are getting it. Just today, in the third week of classes, it was amazing to see the change from class one. So that's what keeps me really, really motivated as a teacher. I have to say I love every class I teach. It's, it's a ritual. I try to be as joyous as I can about it. Uh, I don't think uh, modern postmodern dance needs to be hyper serious. There are times when you can be as serious, as tragic, as comic as you want, choreographically and also in the classroom. But by and large, I really like to make a class experience a joyous and communal one. One where you can strive for the most incredible excellence but also have a, uh, a lighter spirit. A student came up to me today, um, and she, she had come up another day to ask about a specific, specific movement. And it, it was really great because we got her doing this movement in a way that she didn't think she could do it before, and that was lovely. Today she came up talking a bit more about psychological motivation. She says, I end up getting down on myself. It might be because there's a lot of people, not only in this class, but at a festival. And I start doubting. And I told her that the first festival, or maybe the second festival I went to, I almost vanished. I lost almost every bit of confidence. My mentor, Daniel Nagren, he, he looked me straight in the face and said, Dorfman, where'd you go? You're disappearing. Come back. <laughs> I said, oh, that, that woke me up. I think that was... It was a six-week festival. It was down at the American Dance Festival, and, and uh, it might have been in week three. And by week six, I think I came back. <laughs> and I think that's another thing that I'm trying to do, and I do it through humor, is give everyone uh, kind of, uh, as corny as it sounds, the self-esteem to grow in a class. And I try to discourage any kind of competition or overly highlighting you know, certain people, that we all are going to grow. You can look at someone that's across the, the floor from you and be inspired by them. And if they are understanding a movement sequence in a way that you're not, well then that can be, you know, egg you on in a positive way. But I really want to avoid the sense of, they know it, I don't, I'm in trouble. I'm, I don't have that worth that they do. So. I think some of my early work with, I guess, myself taking classes in, in community situations, and then some of the early-ish community choreography that I did was really aimed at empowering every single being in the room. And I still try to do that in my uh, technique classes. Um, 
which brings me to another uh, thought about technique even is, is uh, again, I think we associate it with a more kind of Western mentality of uh, modern postmodern dance that's kind of a, a reaction to ballet, for example, right? And everything has a technique. And I, I, I always try to liken life to dance. There's a technique to personal hygiene. There's a technique to cooking. There's a technique to making a relationship work. There's a, there's a technique to everything. And so sometimes people think that, well, improvisation is improvisation. It doesn't really have a technique. Or maybe, you know, a certain kind of social dance or a world dance. It's not a technique. I mean, you learn a few steps, then you kind of know it. But, you know, but those plies and the ritual of ballet and modern dance, like that, that's a technique. And it's like, no, everything's a technique. And so I feel that I teach a very non-standard technique class because we might just walk around for a, a, a while. And you know, one of my inspirations for that was John Malpede, who uh, directs this group called LAPD, Los Angeles Poverty Department. And he did these great workshops that I was lucky enough to attend years and years ago. And he just got us interacting immediately. And, uh, and I love to do that. And I see that folks that have, you know, they've been in a lot of classes with me or dance in my company, you know, they many times, you know, start classes similarly. And it might be that John was the only one to do that. But I, I like that, um, like, uh, <laughs> related to the piece that we just performed at Bates, Prophets of Fung, the everyday people, okay, it's a quote, Sly and the Family Stone song title, the everyday people quality of just passing someone and actually passing everyone that's in the class. There's something about a group of students staring solely at the mirror, and usually at themselves in the mirror, that alienates me, and I feel that it, it can potentially alienate students. So if I can get the whole room multidimensional from the very start, I feel I, I have a little bit of a, an advantage going into, in, into teaching the class. And so that is also a technique and it's amazing to see folks sometimes having difficulty with that, you know, and folks that come in and think, well, the real thing is the, you know, parallel to the ground, round de jam, or, you know, holding a, a leg extension. Well, of course, that's unbelievably difficult. But there's other skills and other techniques that are also difficult to make this holistic, well-rounded embodiment of, of dance. And that's more what I'm going for with my pedagogy. Well, philosophy of movement, for me, uh, has to do with a couple things. One thing that I mention a lot is oppositional pull. Because again, I'm looking at movement as physical metaphor. So almost anything we do as a moving or still body is emblematic or is a bit representational and it relates to people in the world. So even if I'm in a, uh, a technique class, so I'm not thinking so much about choreography because that's not my job in a technique class. I, and that, that's something to, to delve into, which I'll, I'll kind of fold in. Um, but I, I'm, I'm thinking about how our bodies express. And to go along with that, how I am drawn to watching different movements and different bodies. And if there's, a, number one, a slight tension in the body, 
And I don't mean that it has to be bound flow and literally tense, or that something looks awry all the time, like that kind of tension. Uh, but if the body's being drawn in two or more directions at the same time, that gets me going. And I think, I don't know it physiologically uh, or, or kinesthetically uh, on a deep level, but I think that's what keeps even vertical turns, which I do some of, and many times I do a little bit off, if not a lot, off-kilter turns, that the oppositional pull keeps, it's like a little top, right? There's centrifugal force, there's physics happening, and there's pulls in different directions. It's not just one plane or one axis. So I take those principles and then I try to throw them off as much as possible. So I love to see loose hip joints, really extended legs, all the things that, that one would think someone who's interested in communal dance and everyone can dance wouldn't be interested in. But everyone can dance on their own level. So if you can get your leg up to here, that's great. However, I would like to challenge you to do that and throw your torso to the ground at the same time. But if you think of you know, the, the most incredible extremes and ones which I you know, unfortunately just experienced recently of life and death, right? That idea of kind of dipping in maybe the most joyous, alive, vibrant circumstance and then looking at the unbelievable power and serenity and a, a different level of peacefulness and, and finality of, uh, of death. And I mean, that, I, I'm making a dramatic example. But if your head's about to hit the ground and your toe's about to hit one of the lights <laughs> suspended from the ceiling, I mean, that, that's incredible. So I love when students, and if I can get it myself, are going on those different planes and crossing planes. I mean, and everything, I see when I see and encourage dancing to me is also political. It's like I like to, to think that, that we can all cross into different planes. I think there's more of a normative way of thinking that you do one thing or maybe two things and those are the planes in which you reside, work, play. And I say why can't we cross them? Why can't we constantly redefine ourselves? And I can't tell you the amount of times that I even have been completely and utterly surprised by myself, but what I was more thinking is of a student uh, growing through their dancing. And then they become a colleague so quickly, which I love uh, the way that happens in our field. And I think it happens maybe more quickly in our field than other fields. Maybe because we're using our body and you can put it into play and you can grab all this information. And all of a sudden, you see folks that are going in a million different directions at once with their body and their focus and their heart and their skin. And it's just compelling. So that's the kind of movement that excites me a lot. And it's almost when you're jumping out of your skin. At the same time, in my classes, and particularly here this summer, I've been talking about how to get that incredible uh, uh, hold or kind of poking beyond your kinosphere and have a calm. How can you do things really quickly and big things but also kind of know where you are? So the idea of control and chaos cohabiting in your body. 
And that, I think, is that kind of ultimate skill level. And that's what I'm trying to push advanced dancers here toward. So they can have an unbelievable amount of abandon, but if a lot of people that are watching them in a stage performance or they've just been given new material, they don't actually go beyond their skin. That it's still their skin in contact with the air around them, which has texture, the people in the room, concepts. And so there's this calm, maybe that's a little bit of the Zen part, maybe it's not my style of teaching, but that I'm looking for in students dancing that they can build up confidence and technique in these uh, kind of risky experimental moments when limbs are where they hadn't been before. Uh, that to me is kind of the greatest goal of, of this kind of dancing, is that you can accomplish something you didn't think you could accomplish. There are many phrases that I might give in a class that as they are, they might not end up in a piece of choreography or by the time they get to the stage they will have had to have been tweaked and played with. But in the class they're testing, demonstrating, challenging certain principles of dancing. The lengthening and folding of limbs, these lines and circles, the balance, the weight, the rhythm. And so it might not be a perfect piece of choreography, but it works to build the technique, to build the ability to go in opposite directions at the same time, go through intense arches. I love to arch. I love to look at something that's beyond my usual field of vision. And that's, again, to the Zen, you know, anybody could take it on any level. It could be religious, it could be spiritual, it could just be beyond oneself. And so um, uh, those are the principles I keep working with in dance classes. And then when I uh, need to call on those phrases for choreographic import in a dance, I usually need to keep working them, keep working them. And even within a dance technique class, if the students are getting the hang of a certain phrase, then I start to press them. Okay, we can use more qualities. That can be sharper. You need to do that in two less counts. So that happens, and I find that that's both a technical encouragement or insistence and a choreographic measure. So in that moment, the two are intertwined. At, at this stage in my career, when I'm minimum of 20 years older than any company member, and in many cases 30 or 35 years older, uh, I tend to play a role in the piece. And I um, tend to insert myself later. However, I'm very present in the choreographic process at the beginning. So I usually make up many of the phrases. I teach them to the company or a group of students, like here at the festival. And then I do two things. I have the perspective of watching from a, a, a distance, and then I start that tweaking process. Okay, that's too lyrical. That needs to punch more. I've done that in the last dance. That's boring, <laughs> whatever. You know, then you start editing, basically. 
And then the other thing that I do almost immediately is ask the participants to make up their own solo duet trio material based on those phrases. So it has a pertinence to what I've created, but it starts to express their idiosyncratic nature in regard to the material. And that's really important to me. I want them to come through and I also think, and not, I hope anyways, not on this like e a simple ego level, but I think that it's easier if it comes from some common material. Uh, otherwise, it can be overly disparate. So I like that as a, a, a way to bring the material together, to start with something that I'm interested in. Now, making material can go from a random process to something that, that seems to be pointedly in a specific direction in regard to physical metaphor. What I mean by those two approaches are, I might just trust that this way of throwing myself off balance or the way of being still or the way of turning that I'm currently interested in is in a Zen-like fashion, hopefully, in line with the concept that I'm working with. And maybe it's not one-to-one -one in a parallel direction, Maybe it's in, in, in a satellite version or way out there, but it has some hopefully interesting relationship to the concept at hand. But I just keep going. I say, okay, this is important for me to explore physically. I don't know what it means or stands for now, and that's just fine. That's a little more of the random process. Whatever you do and, uh, is fine. Making it movement in the studio for classes, for, for the company, and then you combine it with either the music, the setting, the concept. Then the other way of working is one that can be both task and uh, thematically driven. So the task could be, okay, you have to, David, you like to move very quickly at the beginning of any phrase, say if you're improvising, you need to move more slowly. You need to take at least one minute to rev up instead of one second. That might be a, a sample task. I mean, I, I just demonstrated this solo uh, from this piece called Light Bulb Theory. And I was doing it uh, on Friday purposefully. You know, my wife, Lisa Race, her father passed away last Sunday, and so I, it, the, the memorial was that day. And, and I couldn't be there, and I wanted to, to do something. And I also enjoy teaching that material, and it's, it's technically challenging. And by this wonderful, you know, half coincidence, half just the way it is, Michael Wall, the composer, is my accompanist for all these three weeks. So he was able to play and sing the music live, and I was able to show the students and teach the material. So um, when I worked on that dance, one of the challenges, and Lisa was really key in stressing this to me, is try to go with a calm nature, not the whole time, but at least for a while. Let yourself build over five minutes, and that's hard for me. And so that was great. So that was a task. And then it was also hooked up with this uh, emotional quality, much arching, much looking to what's beyond ourselves in that life and death uh, category. And another overall classification that I've been working with since 2003 or four, when I started to make that piece, as my dad started to fail with his health, and I was readying for his passing, is the notion of sweet non-irony. 
that you can actually do something that's emotional on purpose and have it have sentiment even be sentimental without being overly sappy and alienating or spoon-feeding the audience and giving them so much that they don't even want to take it in. But I feel you can go straight towards an emotionality, a concept, a humorous moment, and, you know, again, if you use your technique properly, your physical technique and choreographic technique, it can communicate. So that was a liberating um, experience for me working with Michael on the uh, the dance for light bulb theory and uh, so those demo that demonstrates two ways of me going from a concept both task orientation and content orientation and lastly I one of my <laughs> uh, few sayings that I've been using in the last number of years is uh, Subtext is both content and context. At least it can be. So what's going on in your life, in the rehearsal studio, in your relationships, wherever, in your economic life, <laughs> in your checkbook, all that can actually bubble up and be material for a dance phrase, a whole piece, an evening length work, a body of work, a trilogy, three hour long dances that it doesn't need to be taken away and say, this should not relate. That's what you do in your life. You know, this is dancing moves. And so I love that sense of subtext getting to the classroom, the rehearsal hall, and to the stage. And the other saying that I've been using a lot um, uh, aesthetically is invite and indict. And I think it reflects a lot of what I've tried to do over the years, both uh, choreographically and on some level even in a dance class. I mean, for example, today, you know, we had four people going across the floor, and it was very light, and I just love this class here. But occasionally, there will only be two or three people in a line. So every time you do that, it takes longer to get through the lines, people dance less, and that means that someone's not stepping up. Someone's not looking after a group of eight people or the whole room. And so I you know, consistently say, this is a community. Let's go. And, and I don't say it in a, in a you know, uh, you know, castigating way. It, it just it is in an encouraging way, in a joking way. And I think people realize that they're not alone on the stage. They're not just their body and their lane to get to the other side. It's even the preparation to begin. And that if you go with four people across the floor, you're dancing with four people across the floor, yourself included. So um, that becomes really important. And that, that's the slight indict in a classroom situation and encouraging people to go beyond where they think they can go. In a theatrical situation, I love the notion of embracing an audience, literally and figuratively. We've had pieces uh, disavow among them. When we go in the audience, the audience gets invited on stage. The end of Prophets of Funk, the whole audience is dancing around, or anyone who wants to. And you're, you're palpably uh, contacting the folks that were on the other side of the stage from you previously. In Disavow, the, the middle piece in this recent trilogy, the whole piece is back and forth with this, this interaction. And I want to invite people, same thing with under, Underground, 
you know, there were, there's questions that are flashed on the board and that Carl Rogers, as, as kind of the, the media character, asked to the audience. And they're fairly, some of them are funny, but they're, some of them are fairly confrontational and challenging. And I like that. I think that theater is a place that you can go to feel differently when you come out, to be challenged. Mm -hmm. And it can still be both accessible, entertaining, joyous, and enjoyable. So I don't think, again, those planes, I don't think that they just need to be one and they need to be separate. Our, our, we're so fortunate to be alive and to be able to do this kind of work with our bodies and to be supported, even though it's such a tough economy and many times this country just doesn't support art. But to be able to interact with our bodies and, and students and professionals in the way that we do in audiences, that's a privilege. And we can mix it up. We can have it represent so many things that are important to us in our lives. So that's my goal when I uh, go at a choreographic process as well. And I think the older I get, the less I want to make dance for dancers or a dance audience, and the more I want to make it for people that haven't seen dance. I want to make it so that they can come in, and it's neither um, kind of an, an a, a elitist dance, or it's a so you think you can dance. I don't. I, I, I kind of don't want either of those extremes. I don't want something where people feel compelled to hoot and holler or clap after every third move, and I don't want something where people feel that that they're so out of the in crowd that they could never ever latch on. That they'd have to have you know two years of research to walk into the theater. You don't need to have any experience with dance. We will give you the cues. My other mentor, my dance mom, Martha Myers, would always say, you need to give the audience cues. That's your job. And I agree with her. You give the audience cues, and they gradually, over time, see the context in which they can view the dance. Now, they can go in a million different directions. And as I always say, or say when I can in front of an audience, there's 500 people in the audience, there's 500 dances viewed, all unbelievably correct, valid, and full. You can't take away someone's impression. That is what they saw. Then you can discuss it, and they might see other things, and you might, I always do, learn immeasurably after you've heard what they've seen. But I, I, I love the sense of not having to have a history and walking in and doing something that has intimacy and immediacy in, in an artistic realm. I think that's what's so beautiful about a theater. It could be a traditional theater or out in a field, but that's a beautiful, beautiful aspect of what I feel lucky enough to do. I, I think that I've always considered myself maybe better as a facilitator towards uh, making an environment in which uh, solid, innovative work can happen than the one that makes it. Uh, so I think that's um, the fact that so many have gone uh, from the company and, and continue to have their own careers choreographically or dancing really creatively with other choreographers or just having wonderful lives. I mean, I'm, I have a lot of happiness about that and I hope that I've had an effect in, in some way. And I think it's an offshoot of giving a lot of responsibility to the participants in the room from the get-go. Now, you know, I'll notice, I'll do less of it here at a festival where we get an hour and a half for, you know, just under three weeks. I mean, I always 
honor and feedback. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. But that's a short time in which um, to get that um, kind of relationship really, really, really fully clicking. But we have glimpses of it. But when you know, you get a chance to work with somebody. I mean, we just joked, Carl and Whitney had their sixth year anniversary from, you know, from being at Bates Dance Festival and uh, being asked to join the company. I said, well, things are going right. I'm kind of expecting a decade. <laughs> and Carl said, oh, got to make sure this body, like, you know, lasts that long. And, and I was thinking, I've had many people that have, uh, that have been in the company between eight and 11 years. And that really builds this bond and hopefully, just like I was describing about classes, the sense of wonderful empowerment and esteem that they can go in the world and create anything they want. So hopefully that works, and I love doing that. And I am noticing that chairing a department can have that same uh, uh, sense of fulfillment. So I'm loving that. Um, again, I'll quote Daniel Negrin. Uh, I think it was in Dance Magazine because I did a research paper on it when I was in grad school because he you know, was a really important mentor when I started dancing seriously. And I uh, can't remember exactly how he, s he said it. It's been so many years. But uh, the fact that any staging has a political context and political content. So if you have uh, a, a man lifting a woman in just a certain way, that's really different than a woman lifting a man or uh, just the, the way, is it overhead, is it around the back, is it tender, is it uh, with violence, is it to seduce an audience, is it to um, embrace an audience. So that's why I consider anything that I do political. <laughs> and that might sound like a, a, a cop-out or almost the opposite of it, you know, almost um, giving my, myself too much responsibility. But I feel strongly about that. Um, so the three pieces that I've worked on in this, this last kind of seven-year period, seven or eight-year period, underground, inspired by the weather underground and political activism of, uh, from the 60s to present day, disavowal, inspired by the life and legend, really, of a radical abolitionist, John Brown, from the 1860s, just prior to the beginning of the Civil War. And then Prophets of Funk, dealing with the notion of multiple definitions of funk, this envied uh, quality of somebody that has it, that can really kind of use their body in, in, in a cool, essential way that other people want to be able to do. The, the funk that I'm in a funk, I cannot get out of this funk. Something like my dance clothes currently have a really, really <laughs> pungent funk. Uh, and then the notion of, uh, of prophecy, of, of, of prophecy being something that on some level we're all looking for. It's that um, <laughs> old movie Shakespeare in Love. We all want to know how the story is going to end on one level. Yeah, we want to be surprised, but there's this little part of us that just wants to know, how is it going to end? How am I going to be in three months? How am I going to be in three, three minutes? And that has to do with some kind of predictive power that many times we put on a figure. Many times it's a cultural icon of one type or another. Could be a pop star, uh, a religious figure, could be a politician, could be an athlete. Sometimes it's ourselves. Sometimes you get that weird definition, self-fulfilling prophecy, where it's, again, those planes. 
it's like we start to feel that, you know what, I've done this before, I know myself, I'm going down this road. It can be a good thing, but many times that's uh, connoted with a, 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 a all-too-traveled path, one that one would like to avoid. So I find that uh, potentially empowering, political. I mean, if you think of you know Arab Spring, that's a lot of people wanting to chart a different course. A lot of people at the same time saying, uh, I, I don't want to take this anymore. Um, there was articles about Patty Chayefsky, the, the screenwriter of the landmark film Network. Uh, and, and it was a really incredible film. I remember when it came out and I saw it. And um, it has this controversial newscaster who, uh, who sticks his head out of the window. Or, well, he, makes, he asks everybody to stick their head out of the window. He says, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And they still have this scene where people actually do it. And you have all these people in the city. I think it was you know, supposed to be New York. I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And, and you know, that's actually what, on some level, protests are. And they can be peaceful. They can be uh, uh, violent. But it's saying that um, alone, we're not getting anywhere. If I join forces with some others, something can happen. So I, 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 I preface because I feel that's what art making, particularly in this physical realm with multiple bodies, can be about. I think, you know, uh, paintings, uh, books, unbelievably powerful and radical. I think there's a different thing when you say, okay, we're going to get together nightly in a studio, daytime, but regularly, and we're going to work on this thing with our bodies, then we're going to invite a lot of people, and we're going to shut the lights off, and then bring some bright lights on and music, and we're going to go for it and see what happens. So that's what I feel my political realm is. I mean, I go to as many kind of town committee meetings and, and you know, meetings at the college where I teach and, and you know, try to do as much social justice work for, for you know, folks that aren't getting the, their due. And I really believe in that. I also believe that the, the, the thing that I spend more time with and that I'm better at is making dances or even teaching classes where everyone in the class gets some attention, everyone in the class gets some representation, everyone in the class can go to a different state than the state in which they came in. And that's what I want to do with uh, with dances. So Underground was very specifically about this group that began a radically violent path. They blew up their own members, three of their own members by mistake and making a bomb. And then they continued by blowing holes in buildings and wreaking havoc, but with a pact that they would not hurt human beings. Still controversial, but to me very, very inspiring. And really great for dramatic tension because it's, it's, it's not an easy story. So above all, I don't want to be prescriptive in these politically oriented dances. If anything, I'd rather be overly hopeful and corny, that term I use a lot, than prescriptive and say, uh, you should think this way. And I really don't want to make people feel guilty. I don't think that works very well. It hasn't worked on me, and I don't think that's the best uh, tact. So what I want to—I don't want to like present so many, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, 
facts and uh, uh, piles of evidence that look at how bad the world is. I want, again, invite and indict. I want people to get excited. Like, wow, look what they're doing. Oh, I bet you I could maybe do that too. Oh, they're sitting next to me. They're right here. They're sweating on me. They're actually asking me, in, which we do in Disavow, to tell them a story about race and memory. We ask the audience in little groups to talk to us. So it's like, I want people in the theater to be active attendees, active participants for that hour, and then hopefully active participants in every moment of their life. I know that teaching class, to me, is such a high stakes endeavor. Directing communities and choreography and my own company, high stakes endeavor. And I learned the lesson doing one of our older community projects. It was called Out of Season, the Athletes Project, the first one that we uh, did. And one time with a cast in Boston at Northeastern University, I thought, well, we've had about three casts so far, and they've really worked. This one seems a little lackadaisical. Partly, it was a class, uh, <laughs> there were class issues. This was a commuter school that most all the students worked. And so it wasn't as cushy thing where they could just come and, and from the community and look forward to dancing at night and everything's all done in their life, even though that can be complicated too. But these guys were doing homework, working a job either at night or before they came to class. And then they wanted some direction when they came to the two or three hours with me. And I kind of thought they, they'd go on their own autopilot. And it was just a sobering experience. I know I became cynical. Uh, Lisa Reyes was ass assisting me at the time. She said, what, what, what are you doing? What's happening? And it really, really kind of was a wake-up call. David, every single class, every single rehearsal is a new experience. You need to give everything. And as this wonderful, late um, therapist inspirational figure, a friend of mine, Frieda Rosen said, you know, if you're measuring how much you're giving, you're not giving. <laughs> and, and, and I love that, you know, so it's like, when I teach a class, I expect to maybe not be able to walk at the end of it. <laughs> I don't mean that uh, uh, physically, in fact, I feel wonderful at the end of a class, but there's no need to hold anything back. And I see, you know, the company, you know, that, that I, again, have the privilege of working with, they do the same, they, they, they just give it all. So that's what I'm um, seeing in regard to political activity. And again, disavow was the middle piece, and we got the audience talking, feeling, being about issues of, of, of race, of power, uh, uh, social justice in, in one way or another. And, and I delved into the notion of being a leader and the goods and the bads, and I really tried to stretch my character into a bad guy because John Brown was a good guy and a bad guy and that was a stretch for me because I think I've always had a part that wants and many people do that wants to be liked and if you go really far with that you want to be liked all the time and you know the, the older you get you realize that's impossible better give that one up a little bit at least and so it was kind of an interesting thing to be the uh, not that I hadn't delved into a little bit but to be the bad guy and to be the, um, the father of the company and not doing all the right things all the time and to be vulnerable with that in front of an audience. And everyone in the company is really high stakes. We had to decompress after the, the, the run 
uh, of that uh, dance. So the third piece, Prophets of Funk, we wanted to go to a joyous place and literally and figuratively dance to the music to quote another Sliding the Family Stone title. And this is the music of my youth. And I saw the Family Stone with some of the original members way back from like 1968. I saw them recently about three, three and a half years ago performing. And I, I saw them, the name advertised. I called a couple friends, they couldn't come. I jumped in the car by myself about 20 minutes from our house, saw them and met them, got a signed picture, got the manager's number, and I just kept calling them and saying, you know, I have this dance company, you may not know what we do, but would you be interested? They said, sure, we like performing, and why don't you send us a link, video, this, that, and the other. They changed managers a couple times, and then I went on and started to choreograph with the music. And uh, the music was just, uh, it was mind-blowing because I only knew a small part of their music and the more I listened to it I just felt that they were real revolutionaries <laughs> they were talking about all this stuff in an extremely pop fashion but with such soul and such depth that I just never thought of turning back that was it and and my buddy uh, who teaches at Connecticut College David Kim you know he suggested the notion of prophecy big fan of Abraham Heschel and his, uh, uh, late Abraham Heschel and his uh, book, The Prophets and his social justice work, hand in hand with Martin Luther King Jr., etc., and in the civil rights movement. And um, to see what was happening in the 60s in this country and how that relates to what's happening now when many people call this post-racial America and that we've had the, the, you know, the, the great fortune of electing an African-American president and you know, with any of these things, like premiering a piece, that's the first time an audience has seen it. That's when the work begins. Elect a black president, that's when the work begins. <laughs> of course, there's tons of work making a piece, getting an African-American president in office in America. But that's when the work begins. So I think that some folks are seeing the, the fun and the lightness in Prophets of Funk, and I am thrilled. And many people are coming saying, thank you for doing that. I'm so glad that you brought that music back. Many of those people might be you know, near my age, but even young folk are really digging it, I think. But I also feel there's a lot of, of edge in the piece. There's still a, a racial edge. There's still a gender edge. There's still a, um, a kind of a martyred, fallen icon uh, sly himself edge and there's still this idea that yes we can be hopeful and we have these mottos and these songs in the spirit but what happens what really happens in life so I find it a highly political piece but one that more so than the other two can combine an uplifting sense of joy with the reminder that there is constant work to be done which is the message that I gave to this wonderful student today. I was looking at you know, another professor, Carl Flink, who's you know, a 10 or a dozen years younger than I am, and I said, you know, Carl, in the mid-40s, me, mid-50s, it, it continues. The idea of building your sense of who you are and, and uh, 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 making sure that you're vulnerable enough and strong enough to learn and that there's going to be challenges at every sense. But the older you get, at least I feel this, the older you get, the more resilience 
you have. And you realize, you know what? If I don't feel that great about this thing, my life, my career, it's not over. It's not down you know, the drain. It just means I have to do a little bit better tomorrow, maybe a little more homework, maybe a little more simple. And it's going to be okay. And in some way, it has to be okay. I will find a way to push through. So that, that's, I think, the, the, uh, one of the differences I see in the age group that attends the festivals and in the faculty, and particularly as the faculty gets older. Because I was a really different faculty member when I started teaching at festivals. I was closer in age to the students and you know, still working a lot of stuff out. I still am, but I, I actually, you know, you almost don't want to say it, like you feel you'll jinx it, but I actually feel like I've learned some things and that I love sharing them with young people, with colleagues, and I, I love continuing to learn from both young people and colleagues. I can't tell you how inspired I am when I watch people in dance class. It's such a bold move. It's a bold political move to put your body out there. So that's, I guess, my, my dance politics in creating, in creating this trilogy, is that pick different themes, go with cultural icons because they're recognizable, they're accessible. Don't make the story solely about them, but let it be an envelope for change, growth, adversarial relationships, and kind of this everyday struggle that has joy and hope in it. This podcast was produced by the Bates Dance Festival. Editing was done by myself, Lindsay LaPointe. Music featured by Adam Crawley. If you would like to take class, see a performance, or attend the many special events we have planned this summer, visit BatesDanceFestival.org.